You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lala, CEO of Evolve ETFs, and I'm joined by Robert Young, who's at Canaccord Genuity and is a managing director there covering technology. Robert, thanks for joining us today. Great to be on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. So why don't we start going all the way back to 2008. You are a seasoned veteran uh, in the tech space. I believe you start. You held roles at IBM and Nortel. So what, in your opinion, what's been the, the largest catalyst over the last decade for all the growth that we've seen in the tech sector, uh, both from a consumer perspective as well as from an investment perspective? Sure, sure. So, I mean, I'm in the technology sector, but in the time I've been in this role, uh, looking at it from an investment point of view, I think tech's become more than just a sector. It's an underpinning for growth in almost every industry. And so wherever you go, technology is driving growth in other industries. And so it's um, there's a lot of catalysts. Um, I like the saying that you know the sector is moving fast. The tech sector is moving very fast right now, but it's the slowest you're ever going to see it. And that's because tech just builds on itself. It sort of iterates on itself. And so that's why only the tech sector has companies like Microsoft, Amazon, or you know Shopify here in Canada, where you've got massive companies growing at you know high double digits growth rates, and that's because the tech is just accelerating itself. And so I think you know, to answer specifically what you're asking, the things that I would highlight would be the internet, obviously, because it reduced the cost of distribution to zero. And then mobility, which puts the internet in everybody's hand. And so those are the two that the big catalysts that in my career, which I've seen, you know, looking back on BlackBerry, um, and, uh, you know, big driver here in Canada, Shopify, all of those sort of come back to, you know, basically having access to internet anywhere you are. And then looking forward, the ones that get me excited at a very high level would be the cloud, which is moving right now but still a lot of room for growth, artificial intelligence, and then 5G. And those build on the Internet and they build on mobility. And, um, you know, I connect that back into, you know, the um, the video gaming space. The more people who can play high-quality video games without having to buy big, expensive PCs, I mean, that's going to drive more people who are participating. It's kind of like soccer. You know, people play soccer all over the world because all you need is a piece of land and a, and a ball, right? Yeah. Not like hockey. So it's, oh. um, that's what gets me excited in the uh, in the tech space. So let's let's stay on the topic because that's the core focus for this uh, podcast on e-gaming. So starting at the top, first and foremost, the terms e-gaming and esports seem to be used interchangeably. Can you explain um, how they're different? Sure. I think I like to focus on esports because it's easier to define. Esports would be, you know, any time where you've got um, two people or two teams playing a video game against each other. It's kind of just like any traditional um, sport played, um, you know, like basketball or baseball. Um, and then e-gaming, I think, is a broader, uh, much larger industry, which is basically any type of uh, video game. It's not competitive. It's 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 any type of video game and so that that market is massive um you know now bigger than the movie industry whereas esports is a nascent 
very early stage industry. I think a lot of people kind of think it's still a bit crazy. So let's uh, let's let's focus in a little bit more on. Well, we're going to talk about both, but let's focus in a little bit more uh, on e-gaming. So, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I often say to people, you know, if you got interested in a game, you'd go to the store and you'd buy the CD or the cartridge and you'd plug it into your console and away you'd go. But that effectively ended the revenue stream for the game manufacturer. Talk about how it's very different in today's world specifically about how these companies, these gaming companies, have multiple lines of revenue uh, within their businesses? That's a great question. There's lots of lots we can talk around that. Um, I think just a, a few months ago, Google came out and announced a product that they have called Stadia. And essentially what they want to do is they want to be able to deliver video games to any device where basically all the com- com- computation of the game is done in the cloud sort of like Amazon AWS for um, any type of website, but this is going to be video games played in the cloud. And so that means you don't really need to have any kind of, um, you know, a high-end device. And so in the past, um, companies like Electronic Arts or Activision or Take-Two, they would sell you a DVD with the, the software and you'd load it onto your computer. And so that's still not going away, but... The publishers or the people who are making these games have to think about a future where uh, anyone can access their game in the cloud. And so are they going to sell it for you know, $7,500 uh, on a DVD or are they going to allow it to be played for free like Fortnite and sell ancillary things like skins or season passes and things like that. And so these large publishers, they have a lot of decisions to make about how the distribution of their product is going to change over the next you know, several years. And so the second part of your question is they're, they're looking at ways to build an ecosystem around these games. And if you think about Disney in, in the movie industry, right, every movie is a ride at their theme park and it creates all these merchandising opportunities in their Disney stores. And so it's, it's, it's an ecosystem. The video game manufacturers want to start to do that as well. And esports is one element or of, of that ecosystem strategy. Yeah, so, I mean, my understanding is a number of these companies not only create the game, but obviously all the ancillary purchases, but they're also, in some cases, creating the leagues that people are competing in and then also uh, have some involvement with putting on uh, these events. Is that correct? That's right. Each The different publishers have a different attitude towards it. There's some who are very hands-on. The one that you would highlight um, as being hands-on and controlling of the um, the league would be Activision Blizzard. Um, they have an Overwatch league, and they're rolling out a Call of Duty league. And they've actually been you know, very active. They're assigning franchises. And then at the other end of the scale, there's other game publishers who've taken a very hands-off sort of um, uh, 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 an approach and allow the, um, the eSports industry to define it. And so there's a whole spectrum of how they do it, but it is definitely something that all game publishers are looking uh, at as a way to sort of make the ecosystem stronger. So give, give me some stats, uh, Robert, in terms of how big the e-gaming industry is today and, you know, what kind of revenue it's generating and what the, what the forecasted uh, revenue is for, for, for the industry. So – uh, most of the time when this comes up, it's as a comparison with the movie industry, and it's eclipsed the size of the movie industry a little while ago. But it, the total 
market, lots of different estimates uh, from different industry um, uh, research houses, but usually it's like $150 billion. And growth in low single digits, if you look at all the large publicly traded companies, um, you know, the consensus estimates would suggest, you know, mid-single digits growth on average, you know, consensus growth, and so a little bit slower than the overall sector. Um, but, you know, a very large and, you know, for a, a business that large, growing very, very well. Mm. And let's talk about two common uh, subjects that are coming up a lot these days, 5G and cloud-based computing. Can you talk about how both of those are affecting uh, and will affect uh, the e-gaming industry? Sure. So the cloud is um, uh, all of the major vendors are looking at ways to stop selling consoles and games on DVDs. So, like I said, Google with their Stadia is the first real product that's out there. And so you're going to be able to play a very high-quality game on any device, um, uh, even even low-cost uh, devices that wouldn't have the uh, processing power to do it normally. And so all of that is moving into the cloud. And 5G uh, is a wireless standard, and one of the big things that 5G is expected to usher in is lower latency connections. And so latency is just the amount of time it takes for the computer to respond to an input. And so if you think of you're playing a video game, how fast it responds is important. And so if that, you know, if you're playing um, on a computer halfway around the world over the Internet, the transit time of the signals is, is important. And uh, the thought is that eventually the latencies are going to improve to the point where you're not going to be able to notice the difference probably not where we are now, and 5G is one of the pieces that will help improve that latency. Yeah. Demographics. Let's talk uh, a little bit about that. Uh, as you know, we have an ETF focused on uh, the e-gaming space, and you know a lot of people just have the natural assumption that it is those teenage kids uh, that are borrowing their parents' credit cards uh, to buy booster weapons, new new players, and so on and so forth. But how has it transcended not just within that group, but how has it transcended to other demographics and not just here in North America, but globally? Well, it's definitely a global demographic. I think a lot of people um, or some of the, the research out there would point to the fact that a lot of it is actually in Korea and China just because there's so many players there and there's you know good access to the Internet and that's growing. Uh, the demographics generally skew younger. Um, they skew more male. Um, although uh, it, most of the time, this comes up. It's with you know in comparison to other entertainment. You know, like sports. If you look at golf or baseball, those are the average viewers very old. You know, uh, in their 40s or, or older. If you look at uh, football and basketball, uh, soccer, hockey, a little lower than those two, but still you know, generally an older person, but the the people that are watching some of these events around video games and people who are buying video games, it's it's a younger demographic. But, I mean, to answer your question, there's a whole lot of people out there who really aren't interested in watching sports. A lot of them are at home spending their entertainment dollars playing video games, and that can be, you know, any demographic. Um, 
and I always think of Game of Thro- uh, sorry, uh, House of Cards, the uh, uh, the TV show on uh, Netflix where it shows uh, the the lead character played by uh, Kevin Spacey always taking out his frustrations on Call of Duty in his basement. And so I think that's a uh, you know it's a it's a fairly common uh, pursuit for a lot of people. Uh, but it does demographically it does does skew lower lower age and um, but you know very attractive to broadcasters in particular people who want to engage with younger viewers because it's very hard to engage with uh you know the millennial or the gen x and these are people who are you know, very engaged with video games yeah no i mean i i know a number of and i'm sure you do too a number of 40 year olds that hop on hop online uh on the weekend and compete in an esport with some of their friends and play against other teams it's amazing how it's it's transcended beyond just the stereotypical view and into and you know I often use the example that you know my mom would be considered a gamer because she plays at least eight to ten hours a week uh, at games of like Candy Crush so Candy Crush yeah yeah it's definitely the mobile uh, the mobile phone or the smartphone has definitely empowered people to spend more time gaming I mean anybody that takes a go train home just look to your left and look to your right and you'll most likely see somebody. Uh, playing some kind of a game for sure uh, on their phone. Um, we especially see that outside of North America, because a lot of people don't have the big TV or the money to buy a console. They don't have the uh, the power PC to play League of Legends or something like that. And so, a lot of it is mobile first, you know, in China and a lot of other parts of the world outside of North America. Yeah, when we started actually putting this ETF together, I think one of my big aha moments was when I realized how massive the viewership is. I think if you had asked me 10 years ago, do you think you could fill a stadium uh, where people go to watch other people play a game or compete in a game, I would have probably laughed that off. Uh, But fast forward to today, and the viewership is massive, not just at these stadiums, but uh, online as well. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, it's 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 very hard to compare the numbers between traditional TV, which is you know the numbers are provided by Nielsen, and um, the online numbers. But you know, a lot of people have been commenting that the the viewership of um, say the League of Legends final was you know in in the tens of millions of people. And uh, you don't have to go far before you find someone saying that it was bigger than the Super Bowl or bigger than the last game of the World Series last year. Probably not the case just because it's so easy to spoof Internet viewers. But that doesn't, you know, I'm not taking away from that in any way. It's, it's still an enormous viewership, um, certainly larger than most people would expect before they start digging into this sector. I think that's probably the biggest area where people get surprised when uh, usually when investors are looking at this space for the first time, they're looking at pictures of stadiums filled up to the brim with, you know, young people watching other people play video games and they think that's nuts. But yeah. it, it is actually happening. It happened here in Canada in Vancouver when the Dota yeah. 2 trend, uh, tournament was had, held not too long ago and, you know, they filled out three days of the uh, Rogers Arena and, I mean that's not a not an easy thing to do for something that's not popular. And so yeah, the numbers are incredible. It's also it's it's also even more than that because the people that are watching they're more engaged. They're often, you know, chatting with their friends, they're chatting with a live stream. They may be chatting with a brand that's, you know, sponsoring it. And so it for the people that are looking to advertise or looking to um 
sponsor these events, the engagement is much higher because it's a, a younger viewer online and they're, um, you know, they're actually in, in talking to the players there, or they might actually be watching a game and then jump right in uh, and, and start playing their own game. Uh, so it, it's a really interesting space. Um, I often, uh, I always caution people to be careful about the numbers though, because the internet is such an easy place to spoof the metrics. But uh, in well, no way would I take away from the fact that it's just enormous viewership. Well, the prize pools are astonishing as well, right? I mean, I think Dota 2, the prize pool was around $25 million. I mean, that just blew me away. Uh, yeah. as well. I think it just crossed 30, actually. So I think everyone was talking about Fortnite World Series being the biggest, and now Dota 2 is now bigger than that again. So, yeah, big numbers. Very interesting space. So um, why don't you give us your top two or three predictions for the e-gaming and e-sports industry over the next decade? Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on, so I have a feeling that any predictions are probably going to be going to be wrong. But I think, I mean, you hit on it early, the conversion of the cloud. I think we're going to find games on all sorts of new platforms. Um, that's the first thing. I think, you know, as a corollary to that, you're going to see some new business models start to build out because this is going to mainstream. It's going to be more available to more people, and so the cloud is going to encourage more games to offer the product free and then sell, you know, ancillary products around it in the way that Fortnite does. Before you move off the cloud, just a quick question. A lot of these companies that are in, engaging, are they going are they developing their own cloud-based technology or are they working with the big firms like the Microsofts and Amazons of the world? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um Sony just not too long ago said that they're going to partner with Microsoft, which right. is crazy because Sony PlayStation and Microsoft Xbox are, you know, Meeting. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, you know, strong competitors. So it's, you know, cats and dogs living together, and uh, uh, certainly not something people would expect. But uh, Sony doesn't have the ability to offer the technology out of the cloud in the same way that Microsoft does with its Azure system, which is, as you know, I'm sure, a competitor to Amazon AWS. And so, yeah. I think the companies like Microsoft and Google who do have the systems are going to, you know, roll out their own cloud offering. I think you're going to see some partnerships where some of the other companies who don't have that access are going to go to Microsoft and others to try and, you know, make sure that they have that piece. Interesting. Any other predictions you want to make? Yeah, just the mainstreaming of the uh, of the sector, um, like you alluded to before. I mean, it's not just young kids. It's not just uh, – it's, it's becoming cool. Uh, if you look at FaZe Clan, which is one of the popular teams – you know, it is absolutely building a brand. They've got a team house in L.A. and the Hollywood Hills, and they're making it cool. And so you're going to see uh, video games, esports, all of this culture. It's going to mainstream. That would be the second. And then there's all sorts of interesting technology that can help move this uh, into the next level. I mean, blockchain, there's lots of ways to for video game uh, companies to leverage blockchain to make the games better. Virtual reality, you're going to see more of that. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how this develops over the next 10 years. But lots of technology, I think, can help make this more immersive. Exciting space. Thank you very much for your time today, Robert. My pleasure. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the Evolve ETFs podcast. If you like this podcast, please like this post. Subscribe to this channel by clicking on the subscribe button. Ensure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting our website, evolveetfs.com.
You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated, be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at evolveetfs.com. 